we've been tasting and dining with Jesus. We've been tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. We've been dining with Jesus over the last several weeks. And we looked at last, a couple of Sundays ago, we, we looked at the story of Martha and Mary, where Martha was serving and Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet. And then last week we looked at uh, Mary and why she was sitting at Jesus' feet. Today, we're going to look at Judas and see why he was so upset that Mary poured out this expensive perfume and see what was going on in Judas's heart. Something was going on in Martha's heart. Something was going on in Mary's heart. Something is going on in Judas's heart. And I hope that we're seeing these different things in our own life to say, all right, Lord, these are not just stories of interesting people that you dealt with back in the day, but they're there to show us how we can also change and adjust our hearts. Those personalities are familiar personalities. Those uh, mannerisms, the, 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 the goals and the, and the motives and the different things that people are in the Bible, we can relate to because we can read some of these people and go like, that's me right there and I don't like that. So I want to change, Lord. Help me to change. Help me to be more like you. So that's what the Lord is wanting to do in these um, times. So let's look at Judas today. And we look at Judas and he's a pretty, he's a pretty sorry rascal. He's, he's been up there in the top echelons of bad guys in the Bible. I mean, he betrayed our Savior, right? And we can look at Cain killing his brother Abel. We can look at David committing adultery with Bathsheba. We can look at Peter denying that he knew Jesus. And we think to ourselves, along with what Judas did, I would never do such a thing. I wouldn't deny Jesus. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't do these sort of things. But you know what? We need to really hold on to this. Uh, because just like Jesus Judas betrayed Jesus, I think that we all have the capacity to develop some things in our heart and actually act them out, not only towards Jesus, but also towards others. So let's see about Judas, and before we close this thing out too much and say, well, I'd never be like Judas, let's just see what's going on with Judas here. So let's dig into this. We looked at John chapter 12 with Martha, John chapter 12 with Mary. Let's do it again this morning and read in John chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. And by the way, I just want to say welcome to all those that are viewing on Facebook Live. God bless you. I'm so glad that you're tuning in today. Glad to have you with us. John chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. Write that down or open it up in your Bible or do both. And here we go. It's on the screen behind me. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, and she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But the one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. Well, that sounds awful nice for Judas to be so concerned. But then we read, he didn't say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus said. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You'll always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. And by the way, it was just after this that Judas set the wheels in motion to betray Jesus. So let's ask some questions here to find out what in the world was going on with Judas's heart. Why did Judas betray Jesus? So let's ask some questions. I want you to write this down. Was it 
unmet expectations. So just put unmet expectations. It's on the screen there. So as you're writing that down, maybe it's possible that before Judas became a disciple of Jesus, he was uh, thinking about other things. Now, Judas Iscariot, Iscariot wasn't his last name like Keith is my last name. Judas was a, Iscariot was a description of Judas. And Iscariot means he who carries a dagger. So here's Judas, he's carrying this dagger. Now a dagger is not something you just gut fish with. That dagger was used for something a little more nefarious. The dagger was common in a weapon that was used by a group of men in the day called the Zealots. And the Zealots at that time were a politically motivated group committed to restoration of Israel through the overthrow, the violent overthrow of the Roman oppressors. And it was happening during Jesus' time. And so here comes Jesus with this power and this authority and this wisdom of the word and people were attracted to him. And Judas thought, I'm going to attach my horse to this wagon and see where this thing goes from here. He was thinking that Jesus was going to be the one in fact, a lot, a lot of disciples did, and a lot of the people did. And Jesus kept having to confront them. I'm not going to set up an earthly kingdom. My kingdom is not of this world, he kept saying. I'm sure Judas just ignored that and thought, well, he probably doesn't mean that exactly. So he just stayed with Jesus, and he was attracted to Jesus because of that way that Jesus was. And he thought, Jesus is the guy that's going to take over, and I'm ready with my dagger. So this may have been the motivation for Jesus to sell Jesus, or rather for Judas, to sell Jesus out because he, like others, thought that Jesus was the Messiah who was going to deliver Israel in this militaristic fashion. So Judas jumped along with him and said, I'm going to hang out with Jesus. But when it became clear that this expectation wasn't going to be fulfilled, Judas either turned on Jesus in frustration or possibly in hopes that when Jesus was backed into a corner that he could manipulate Jesus and make him come out swinging and then Judas' desires for a Jewish revolt would be a reality. How many knows you can't manipulate Jesus? So if any of this is true, it highlights that Judas had an expectation of Jesus, possibly, and when he realized it wasn't going to be met, he took matters into his own hands and we know at the end of the story for Judas, how that turned out. So let me ask you this today, based on that that we know about Judas, that we speculate that it could be a motivation. Have you ever hoped, here's a question for you today, have you ever hoped that Jesus would do something for you, and then when he doesn't do it, you try and manipulate him to do it? I mean, be honest with yourself. You don't have to shake your head yes and turn this way, hey, that's me, because that's a hard thing to admit. But have you ever approached Jesus in that way? It's, a, it's, a, it's an important question to ask of yourself. Have you ever tried to cut a deal with him? Have you ever tried to negotiate with him? Have you ever tried to force the issue? Have you ever tried to push forward when you know it's not right in hopes that he'll still come to the rescue and work this thing out for you? It could be in choosing a mate to marry. It could, be some, it could be buying a house. It could be taking a new job, moving into a new community uh, from where you are to, to a new state. It could be a number of things. It could be big and small. If Jesus doesn't meet your expectations and do what you want, when you want, do you take matters into your own hands? If so, you need to stop and say, wait a minute, Lord, I don't want to be like Judas. Because that's what Judas potentially was doing.
So if you're trying to take matters into your, on your own hand, into your own hands, how is that working out for you is, is the question. It didn't work out well for Judas, and I promise you that it won't work out well for you either. Having unmet or unrealistic expectations of Jesus will eventually lead us to betraying Jesus. Because when we try and do these things, we aren't allowing Jesus to be our Lord. There's a difference between him being our Savior and him being our Lord. Let me just say it one more time for those of you who don't understand that. We can ask Jesus into our hearts and say, all right, Lord, I got that taken care of. Jesus, I got that taken care of. I'm washed clean of my sins, but I'm still going to do what I want to do. Well, that's not letting him be your Lord. That's not giving him the reins of your life. He's your Savior, but he's not your Lord. And you end up falling flat on your face, running into walls, falling into pits, messing up continually because you're not trusting him that he knows what's best. We should never do something and ask Jesus to bless it. But we should always find out what Jesus wants to bless in our life and then do that. So we approach Jesus by saying, Lord, I'm going to do this, now bless it. No. We approach Jesus this way. Say, Lord, what is it that you want to bless in my life? Guide me. Help me to make the right choices. And then I'll do that. That's why the Bible says the steps of a righteous person are ordered of the Lord. The Bible says in Proverbs, we can make our plans, but the final outcome is in God's hands. We need to step back and say, Lord, what do you want to bless in my life? What relationship, what job, what things that I'm supposed to be doing as far as activities and, and pursuits? What do you want to bless in my life? That's what I want to do. How about you? How about you? Do you want to find out what God wants to bless in your life and then do it? In other words, do you want to be at the optimum level of effectiveness and living your life to the full in Him? I would say that that would be a great goal for all of us and hopefully a desire for all of us. If you do, then let Him be your Lord in every area. And don't put unmet expectations on Him that will eventually cause you to betray Him. That's a hard word, but that's really what's happening. We're betraying him. We're saying, no thanks. I want to do this. And then again, we fall in a pit. We fall flat on our face. Now, this is a hard but necessary part of a relationship with Jesus today. We trust him. We let him lead us. We let him guide us. We accept no and we accept not now as viable answers from him. We make our plans and let the final outcome be in God's hands. We submit and know that he is our best interest at heart. How many believe that Jesus has your best interest at heart? I mean, do you really believe that? I mean, do you really believe that? I mean, it's easy to say, yes, now I believe that. But I'm talking about when the rubber meets the road, when things are challenging and difficult, when it doesn't make sense. Do you still believe that God has your best interest at heart? You've got to. That's where faith comes in and say, Lord, I'm going to trust you even though I don't like it. And even though it doesn't make sense, I'm going to follow your leading. I'm going to trust you with every facet of my life. We have to give him the reins of our life and do what Jesus, say what Jesus said when he was in the garden. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. I want to do this. I want to go there. I want to have that. But nevertheless... Not my will, but yours be done. I want to marry this person. I want to buy that thing. I want to have that occupation. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. That's allowing him to be Lord. And that'll help us to not have unexpected, unmet expectations by Jesus by telling him what we want him to do. Don't ever tell Jesus what you want him to do. Say, Lord, 
what do you want to do? You're the Lord. Here's the reins of my life. You got it. Oh, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. Okay, there's that one. That's a sermon in itself. Let's go to the next one. Here's another sermon in itself. Little mini sermon that's within the bigger one here, okay? Was it greed? Uh-oh. We're going to talk about greed, Pastor? You bet we are. Here we go. Now, in our story of Mary pouring out this expensive perfume in John 12 that we looked at last week, Judas had a problem with Mary's devotion. Not because the money could go towards the poor, but as we read, he realized he would be missing out on an opportunity to steal some more money. A year's wages of money, in fact. Judas had a greedy heart. I imagine the Pharisee Simon the leper, you remember we looked at him last week, we contrasted Mary and Simon. And I imagine Simon the Pharisee, who was also Simon the leper, same dude, he was a Pharisee, he was a religious zealot, he was hosting this meal, and he heard Judas say that. I can't believe that Mary wasted that expensive. What's going on? And, and then Jesus corrected and scolded pretty much and, and kind of humiliated Judas in front of everybody. Tried to set his heart straight, give him a different perspective of what was going on. So I imagine Simon, the Pharisee, the leper guy, he was just watching this whole thing play out and going, well, there's a... There's a possible inroad. Because see, the, the Pharisees were trying to arrest Jesus and kill him. Because they, they, they were losing their power and their influence over the people of that city and uh, that community. Jesus was, was taken over, you know. Their hearts were leaning to him instead of the Pharisees being able to control and manipulate. So, so Simon was one of those guys. I'm sure they had their regular meetings saying, what are we going to do with this Jesus? So Simon invited him over, and here comes Judas saying, hey, you're wasted. And Simon's like, hey, wait a minute. I remember that conversation we had that meeting last month where we're trying to figure out how to get to Jesus. Maybe it's going to be through Judas. So I can imagine Simon maybe motioned to speak with Judas privately. It's like, hey, come here. Before, as they were, everybody was slipping out, the meal was over. How about would you be interested in betraying Jesus? And maybe Simon brought Judas to the rest of the Pharisees where we read in the, in the Gospels where Judas went and said, Okay, how much will you give me to turn Jesus over to you? Maybe that's how that, how that happened. That, that, that Judas didn't just show up, but maybe Simon led him and gave him access to the rest of the leaders there. We read in Matthew chapter 26, verses 14 through 16, it says, One of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and asked, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him over to you? So they counted out to him 30 pieces of silver from then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. 30 pieces of silver. Do you know what, how much uh, 30 pieces of silver is? The value of it? It's what the value of a slave was. A slave. So we see this downward spiral in Judas's life. He must have been trusted at some point to be appointed the treasurer of the church, the group. It started, as, it started out as giving into the temptation to skim just a little bit off the offering bag. And it probably increased as time went on. Now, now stealing, just to keep in mind, by the way, and that's what it is, it's stealing. It's, it's, it's an awful sin. In fact, it's in the top ten. Thou shalt not steal. I mean, it's just right up there in the top ten. But stealing from Jesus? From the church? It's got to be right up there towards the top of the list. I... You got a few minutes here because I want to just veer off and just real quick and tell you a story out of 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 12 through 17. Eli was the priest 
at that time, and he had two sons named Hophni and Phinehas, and they were scoundrels. In fact, it says Eli's sons were scoundrels in verse 12. Listen to what they did. They were working with Eli the priest in the temple. They had no regard for the Lord. Now, it was the practice of the priest that whenever any of the people offered a sacrifice, the priest's servants would come with a three-pronged fork in his hand while the meat was being boiled, and, it would plunge, and they would plunge the fork into the pan or kettle or the cauldron or the pot. Whatever the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. This is how they treated all the Israelites who came to Shiloh. But even before the fat was burned, the priest's servants would come and say to the person who was sacrificing, give the priest some meat to roast. He won't accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. And if the person said to him, let the fat be burned first and then take whatever you want, the servant would answer, no, hand it over now. And if you don't, I'll take it by force, which is completely against the law and completely against the sacrificial rituals and and the procedures of the Old Testament, by the way. It says, this sin of the young men was very great in the Lord's sight, for they were treating the Lord's offering with contempt. Okay. So let's just talk about for that for just a second because we look at that and think, man, that's awful for the priest to do that. But let's fast forward to where we are today in our modern church situation. There's churches out there where money is being skimmed off the top, embezzled, stolen. It happens, okay? It does. I, mean, I just heard of one recently. If you don't have checks and balances put in place, if you don't have annual audits, watch, by the way, we do. If you don't have two signers on checks, which we do. If you don't have regular budget meetings, which we do. If you don't put as many safety nets and redundancies in place as possible to make sure that the stealing doesn't happen, then, and if you don't put the people in place of the, over the purse who can be trusted, who don't have a greedy heart, then you're going to be in trouble. And I'm thankful to say that our church has all these redundancies and checks and balances. And I'm not saying that as a boast. I'm saying that as a way of saying you can be assured. And I've said this before. Listen, I don't have to worry that if you guys catch me from stealing, I got to answer to somebody a little bit bigger than that one day. And there's just no way. There's just no way. But what started out as skimming a little here and skimming a little there with Judas, this greedy heart in Judas's life escalated to selling Jesus out to the people who wanted to kill him. And, and while we may, we may not be in charge of, of, of a business's money, you may not be the treasurer of a church, you not be a, be a pastor of a church, what you do is you have some funds that you have some stewarding to, to look over. It's your own budgets. It's your own income. It's your own finances. So let's, let's boil this down to where we are in our personal lives today. Now hear me today. What we do with our money greatly reflects on where our heart is. Matthew 6.21 says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. If you show me your check register, I'll show you where your heart is. That's what sin does, by the way. We start out small with whatever we do, and that's against God's word, a little here, a little there. But then we need a little bit more to satisfy the urge. And before long, we sold out to Jesus. We betrayed him. And we traded him for our sinful desires. It's that way with drugs. It's that way with alcohol. 
It's that way with cheating. It's that way with stealing. It's that way with any fleshly urges that you may have. A little bit at the beginning and then a little bit more and a little bit more. If you feed it, it'll want more. If you starve it, it will die. And that goes both ways. Good and bad. So whatever you feed, rest assured, it's going to grow in your life. If you're feeding greed, it's never going to be enough. If you're feeding lust, it's never going to be enough. Whatever it is that you're feeding, it will grow. So I encourage you to feed holiness. I encourage you to feed righteousness. I encourage you to feed purity in Christ because it will grow as you feed it. Because you are what you eat. Amen? So ironically, Judas scorned Mary's pricey devotion of a year's wages value of the perfume but then turned around and was willing to betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, the price paid for a slave. That's the value that Jesus held in Judas's eyes, that of a slave. And that's what greed produces. Because you see, money and things become more valuable than people at that point. Step on whoever you need to to get to the top, to get to that position, to get that thing. Now let's contrast that with the value of Mary's expensive perfume. And we see that devotion is costly, but betrayal is cheap. Devotion is costly, but betrayal is cheap. You'll discover that in costly devotion, you'll find your greatest reward today. Let me say that again. You'll discover that in costly devotion, you'll find your greatest reward. But in the flip side of that, you'll also discover that in your cheap betrayal, you'll pay it with your life. And that's just not worth it. This is what the Bible guides us with in our temptation to be greedy. Here's the antithesis of that. Philippians 4, verses 11 through 13 says, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content. Say the word content, content. That's the difference right there. In whatever circumstances, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And say this with me together, please. I can do all this through Christ who gives me strength. It's through his strength that we can be content in every area of our life. So... I'll get off of that because some of you are saying, please stop talking about my money. Please stop, just leave my checkbook alone. I'm going to let the Holy Spirit deal with you on that for the rest of the way because he's a lot better person to speak to people's hearts on that than I can ever be. I'm not here to manipulate a person. I want you to live your best blessed life. So let me just leave it. I'll say this one more thing and I'll leave it alone. If you're not tithing, you're stealing God's money and you're stealing your seed and you're on your own, pal. You're on your own. I would say that the 90% that you have left, 10% is a tithe, by the way, the 90% you have left will go further than the 100% you started off with. Test him in that, the Bible says. Test him in the tithe. Tithe, tithe. Give 10% to the church, to the Lord. Sow it in good soil and watch what happens. I promise you. Okay, enough of that. Sermon number three. Was it jealousy? Was it jealousy? Was there a twinge of guilt knowing that Judas's heart didn't possess the level of love and devotion that he had just witnessed from Mary? Judas didn't love Jesus like Mary did. Judas's response exposed his heart. 
So when we find ourselves criticizing other people's devotion, maybe, people coming to the altar, people shouting out amen from the congregation, people loving Jesus in a more passionate, vigorous, outward way, which is nothing wrong with that, nor is there anything wrong with someone worshiping the Lord with all of their heart internally. We need not judge anybody's outward expressions, whether it's a little or a lot. We have to be careful not to criticize other people's devotion. Because just because we, maybe we do it differently. Just like last week, remember, Mary was forgiven much while Simon was forgiven little. And we don't know as people are coming into this place and they're worshiping Jesus, what the Lord has rescued them from and how much that they have to celebrate and be thankful to Jesus for and to just shout out, I cannot stop praising Him loud enough for what He's done to rescue me. And I think that's perfectly okay to celebrate Jesus' rescue in this place. Amen? And that we allow that to happen is okay. And at the same time, we don't look to the person sitting next to them where they're not lifting a finger or making a sound and say, well, they must not love Jesus very much. They love them just as passionately as the one that's outward and demonstrative. Let's not judge hearts. Let's be very careful that we don't judge people's passionate devotion to God and then use ours as some sort of measuring line of what the status quo needs to be. People need to worship Jesus like me or they're not loving Jesus enough. No, that's wrong. That's worshiping your worship, by the way. Be careful. You see, the spiritually minded person would have seen Mary's, this wonderful act of love and repentance and devotion, they would have seen it as that. But the unspiritual person would only see it from a practical standpoint and see it as a huge waste. That's what we see in Judas's heart. And it happens today. Spiritually sensitive and wise people are generous toward the work of the Lord in their time, talent, and treasure. But the unspiritually wise and the unspiritually sensitive, insensitive people, they see things like tithing and giving and working to the needy as foolish. It's not. The Bible says we need to give to the widows and the orphans and the homeless and all those that are in need. Man, that's our responsibility. And the church is woefully inadequate with that. That's why the government has taken over. And they're not doing a good job with it at all. But at least they're doing something. Church, let's not be stingy. Let's reach out and love people. This coming Saturday is a great opportunity. When we go out and do outreaches at the homeless shelters and all, great opportunities to just love on people. You see, Judas tried to paint Mary's good deed. This devotion and repentance that Mary expressed with this year's wages of beautiful perfume that fragrantly filled the room. Judas tried to paint that in an evil light. She wasted it. And at the same time, he was trying to paint his evil intentions, this greed, in some sort of good light. Well, that could have been given to the poor. That's not what he wanted at all. The old devil boy, he's sneaky, isn't he? Gets into our hearts and just twists things around. But Jesus would not let him get away with it. I love how Jesus confronted him. Matthew 26, verses 10 through 13. He said, aware of this, uh, Jesus said to them, why are you bothering this woman? She's done a beautiful thing to me. The poor will, you'll always have with you, but you'll not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. And this was just, by the way, days before the crucifixion, days before the burial, days before the resurrection. 
Truly, he says, I tell you, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. And again, as I said last week, I say it again this week, here it is 2023, some 2,000 plus years from this event that took place, and it's still being preached. What she did is still being preached. Today, it's happening again, that beautiful act. You know, I imagine Judas was angry and humiliated towards Jesus for putting him in his place. And embarrassment and anger are big motivators for revenge, aren't they? Aren't they? Yeah. Whatever the reason, it moved Judas away from Jesus, and it will do the same for us. So we need to be aware that we don't identify these things in our life. Rather, we, we, that we don't identify these things in our life. We must identify these things. Unmet expectations, greed, jealousy, anger. These things will draw us away from Jesus and will lead us to betray Jesus just as real as Judas did in that story we read just a moment ago. So let's move on here. Jesus exposes the betrayer. In Matthew chapter 26, they're at the Last Supper, and Jesus revealed that one of his disciples would betray him. We'll start in verse 20 of Matthew 26. It says, when evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table. Here's another meal. And he was reclining with the 12. And they they ate a lot. And while they were eating, here it is again, they're eating again. Jesus said, truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. Now that's that's a stunner of a statement. That'll get your attention. They were very sad and began to say to him, and one after the other, surely you don't mean me, Lord. Jesus replied, the one who's dipped his hand in the bowl with me will betray me. It was a a bowl that they would stop the bread. The Son of Man will will go just as it was written about him, but woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not even been born. (laughs) Wow. Then Judas, the one who betrayed him, said, Surely you don't mean me, Rabbi. And Jesus answered, You have said so. And I think it's interesting, too, this use the word Rabbi, which means teacher, instead of saying Lord, which, again, is a tell in his heart. Now, in that culture, in Jesus' day, The host of a banquet, and in this case, this would be Jesus, would customarily take a piece of bread, dip it, it, and then hand it to the guest of honor. And so that's what Jesus was doing. Judas was right next to him. So we look at that and we think, aha, Judas has been nailed. But I think, let's look at Jesus' heart here and say for just a minute, I think... Again, understanding that Jesus is, a, is, a, is our Lord who always is trying to do things towards us in a redemptive way, right? He's always trying to rescue us. It's, 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 it's never punitive. I mean, certainly we reap what we sow, but he's always reaching out to us, always giving us that chance, a second chance, a third chance, all the way to the very end. I mean, this was right before Judas was going to get up and say, here he is. And even then, moments before Judas was supposed to get up, and do what he did. Jesus expressed this gesture of love toward Judas to say, now think about what you're getting ready to do. Maybe it was Jesus' last effort to try to get Judas to turn from his evil intentions, but I don't know. Something to think about. I'm just so thankful that Jesus' actions towards us are always redemptive in quality, amen? He's always trying to redeem us. He's always giving us a chance to turn away from our sinful choices, even up to that point of betrayal. Aren't you thankful that he does that in our lives? Earlier, Jesus had displayed another act of love toward Judas when he washed his feet. You can read it in John 13. 
Jesus is washing all of the disciples' feet. I can just imagine what was going on through Judas's mind, knowing that he was getting ready to betray Jesus, and here he is washing his feet. This humble task, this task of love. Here's Jesus washing Judas's his soon-to-be betrayer's feet. It was already in his heart to do it. He had already taken the money. He was just looking for a way. Judas knew that agreement that he had made to betray Jesus, but more importantly, Jesus knew it as well. And yet Jesus continued to reach out in unconditional love to Judas. Let me ask you, how would you have felt if that were you? You think, well, that wouldn't have been me because I would never betray Jesus like that. But the fact is we do it all the time when we don't even think another thought about it. How often, let me ask you this, how often do you throw Jesus under the, under the bus by denying him to your friends at school or your coworkers? Are you a Christian? Do you go to church? We excuse it away. We throw it off. We, we throw him under the bus. We deny like Peter that we ever even knew him. We don't want to be associated with that because we want to be cool. We want to be accepted. We want to be in the in crowd. How often does the Holy Spirit convict you of a thought, of a word, of a deed, but you ignore it and you do it anyway, knowing it's a betrayal of your proclaimed faith in Jesus? There's no difference between that and what Judas did. None. I'm so thankful, though, that even when we're not thinking straight, even when we're not talking right, even when we're not acting right, Jesus still shows his love to us, amen? And he reaches out to us in hopes that it's going to wake us up, that it's going to change our hearts, that it's going to draw us back to him. Oh, God, please help us to be yielding to you and to submit and to be repentant and not go the way of Judas by denying you. Jesus said in John 13, 18, he who shares my bread has lifted his heel. In other words, turned against me. You know, when Jesus, that expression has lifted his heel against me, it describes the lifting of a horse's hoof. You ever seen those horses that just kick like that? That's what he's talking about. These horses that just don't ever stand behind a horse. I've seen too many videos. It's not happened to me, but I've seen it happen. Don't ever stand behind a horse. How many knows what I'm talking about? Has ever been kicked by a horse? A kick by a mule? Don't, don't, you, you learn your lesson really quick, don't you? And that's what he's talking about. You're sharing my bread, you're kicking me like the horse kicks a deadly kick. That's what it felt like for Jesus. Have you ever been betrayed? Has anyone ever turned on you, stabbed you in the back, lied about you? Has that ever happened to you? It can feel like someone kicks you in the stomach, doesn't it? Let's the winds out of your sails, kind of like you got hit, kicked by a horse. It's a very painful feeling to be betrayed. Jesus said, woe to him who betrays me. It would have been better had he not even been born. And I'm sure Judas is sitting there at that point with a lump in his throat. His knees are knocking as white as a ghost because he knows that Jesus is reading his mail. But I love how Jesus also doesn't beat around the bush. And I love how Jesus doesn't sugarcoat anything to Judas or to us. He speaks the truth in love, but it's always the truth but it's always in love, but it's always the truth, but it's always in love. But I love how he just is so direct with us. He doesn't let us get away with anything. We need to allow Jesus to show us our deeds, amen? In the truest possible light as well, because what we do against him is no small thing. Our rebellion, our betrayal, it's significant, and it's costly, and it has powerful, detrimental consequences, just like what happened with Judas. 
I encourage you to allow Jesus to show you the stark truth of the path that you've established and are heading down. I encourage you to allow Jesus to help you to see your actions for what they really are and stop justifying it and making it sound good. I encourage you to let Jesus show you the end result of your actions on the front side so that you can stop in your tracks and repent and run as far from the other, for, away from that as you possibly can, can back into the arms of Jesus. Sometimes when we wrong Jesus, we just don't see it for what it is. But Jesus tells it like it is. Revealing the grave reality of the situation and laying out the truth. And thank God for the truth of Christ that speaks into our lives and challenges us and says, you need to run and run fast from that and run to me. But so even after the washing of the feet and the gesture with the bread, it wasn't to be for Judas. We read in John 13, verse 27 through 30, as soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. Wow. Wow. So Jesus told him, what you're about to do, do quickly. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Since Judas had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the festival or to give something to the poor. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out and it was night. It's a really scary statement. Satan entered into him. Luke twenty two forty two. it also says that Satan entered Judas when he went to discuss with the chief priest about handing Jesus over. And here we see it happening again. And what this is showing us is that he wasn't necessarily demon-possessed. And I think we need to really be careful that we don't always see a demon under every rock and that, you know, you're just doing that so that means you're possessed by Satan. So come out. You know, that's, there's times where you do that. But I think too many of us have seen the exorcist, you know, and think, so things like that are real. But there is demonic oppression these demonic control, and then there's demonic possession. So we need to be careful of the categories that are there. I think what was happening was Judas had just given over control uh, and was just steered by Satan in this. Satan took over Judas's life and used him as a vessel to get what Satan wanted done to destroy Jesus. And we need to be careful with this, folks. Satan is a very real person. And demons are very real entities. And they're roaming around this earth seeking whom they may devour. They're looking for weak spots. They're looking for vulnerable. They're looking for inroads. And as much as Jesus is real and heaven is real, Satan is real and hell is real. And Satan's job is to steal, kill, and destroy. And he's doing everything that he can to find out where your weak spots are and to get in there and exploit it. With the end result that you would fall off that cliff into that chasm and never see the, the light of day again. If we yield even just a little bit to Satan, he's going to gain a toehold, which turns into a foothold, which creates an entry into our hearts that becomes more and more pronounced, and it will lead to death. He gradually takes more and more control, and before we know it, we're bound and we're blinded and we don't know what to do. Just like what happened with Judas. Verse 30 says, and it was night. And it was night. I like how it was just a descriptive there. Just, uh, we just, it's not, that's just, just at the time of day that it was. It's not in there for that person. Oh, okay, it was night. The sun was down. It's there for a reason because there's a spiritual facet to that phrase right there. And it was night. Because you know that things done in secret many times happen at night. In the darkness of your room. In the darkness of the, uh, of the, uh, of the particular day that it is. Jesus' trial happened at night. 
because it didn't follow the correct procedure. So they were just trying to slip it in kind of last minute behind the scene, that kind of 1159 sort of decision before it hit midnight sort of thing. You see that happening in the government where they just kind of slip these little sort of things in kind of like through the back door. It happens at night. They subvert and they kind of subtle and they're kind of sly and slick. Things happen at night. Things done in secret. Things that are evil. Satan loves darkness. Not just the sun being gone and the moon shining on the, in the evening. I'm talking about the darkness of our hearts, the darkness of our morals, the darkness of our thinking. He, 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 that's where he functions best is in the darkness of our lives. So if he can make it dark in our lives, boy, that's prime environment for him to work. In Genesis 1, it describes the earth was this way before God intervened. Genesis 1-2 says, Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And only when God spoke into the darkness and said, Let there be light, was darkness eradicated. And I don't think it was just Jesus, God just saying, Okay, let's just pop the sun up there. But I think that the presence of the, of the, of the Most High God invaded the earth again and created order out of chaos. He created structure out of disruption. And in fact, John chapter 1, read it, the chapter, John chapter 1 in your own devotional time. John chapter 1 describes Jesus as the light of the world. Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus himself declares that he is the light of the world. And when we act on sinful desires, we're actually doing them in the darkness of our hearts. We're not allowing the light of Christ to shine brightly on that area in our life because we know it's wrong and we want to do it. And the flesh says, yeah, keep it dark and keep doing it. We haven't allowed the light of Christ's holiness to reveal our sin. In fact, we'd rather not and that's exactly what happened to Judas. He went out not only literally into the darkness, but also figuratively into the darkness. The darkness of sin had overcome Judas. Today, if you need rescuing from your darkness, invite Jesus, the light of the world, to expose those things that are hidden and done in the darkness of your life. He'll do it, but you have to invite him in. He will invade, by the way, the darkness. He won't, it's not just a tiny little, I mean, it's just going to be blinding. There's not going to be one thing left unseen in the glory of his light. Step out of the darkness of your sin today, church. Step out and let the light of his glory come in. Amen? Step out of the darkness. So later we see Judas accompanying the Roman guards to arrest Jesus in Matthew 26. Then Judas betrayed Jesus with a kiss on his cheek. I think it's really sad that Jesus turned a symbol of love and intimacy into an instrument of hate and betrayal. But again, that's just how Satan does it, doesn't he? And finally, the betrayer is exposed for who he is. Now rest assured, if you're walking in betrayal against Jesus, your true colors will eventually be exposed. Jesus is gonna make sure of it because again, it's always redemptive in nature. Jesus is going to... Uh, do this because he loves you too much to not do it. So if you're moving towards betrayal, God will reveal it and God will expose it, but understand, he wants to simply convict you of your sins so that you'll repent. He's not going to punish you. He's going to redeem you, okay? So here's 
Judas. He asked the question, what have I done? And so we ask that question, what have I done? Why am I doing this? Why am I allowing the darkness to come into my life? Why am I acting on it? We see Judas regretted his decision to betray Jesus. Matthew chapter 27, verses three through five says, when Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse. Now, write that word remorse down. Just off to the side, just keep that there for a second. I'm gonna continue reading, but I'm gonna come back to that word remorse. He was seized with remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priest and the elders. I have sinned, he said. For I betrayed innocent blood. What is that to us? They replied. That's your responsibility. So Judas threw the money back to the temple towards them, scattered all over the steps and the floor there, and he left. And then here's the end result of what happens when we betray Jesus that Satan wants to happen in our lives. Then he went away and he hanged himself. He just ended it. He was done. Now I want you to notice this word remorse. Judas was remorseful, but he wasn't repentant. There's a big difference between being remorseful and being repentant. In the Bible, there's two root words for the word repent. The first means to repent or to turn from your wicked ways and not do them anymore. But the second one means regret or remorse which means that you feel bad about what you did, but not to the point of repentance. The first definition accepts the consequences of your actions, while the second one tries to avoid them, the consequences. You know that we can regret something all day long and still do it over and over again? That's where remorse is. I regret it as I continue to do it over and over again. But I'm not repentant of it. I just feel bad every time I do it. But true repentance turns from it and goes the entirely opposite direction towards Jesus. The word used in this passage is regret, not repent. So Judas didn't repent. He just felt really bad. Notice the difference between Judas, by the way, and Peter. Now, Peter denied knowing Christ. We all know that. Three times, in fact. But then the rooster crowed, and he and Jesus' eyes locked, and then Peter remembered that Jesus told him he would betray him. And then we see Luke twenty-two sixty-two 62, that Peter went outside and he wept bitterly. Peter had godly sorrow. Judas did not have godly sorrow. Because although he was, Judas was remorseful, And he realized that what he did was a sin. It didn't transfer into repentance. It transferred into suicide. 2 Corinthians 7.10 is a very powerful scripture as it relates to remorse and repentance. Listen to this. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. That's what happened to Judas. He had worldly sorrow. He went out and hung himself. Peter had godly sorrow. It rescued him, and he was able to move on with ministry and be a very powerful voice for Christ in the uh, opening years of the church. You know, the world is filled with remorseful people. This congregation, there's many here that 
are simply remorseful. You're sorry for what you've done. You're sorry that you got caught. But you're really not sorry to the point of change and repentance. You're sorry for the consequences of your actions, but you're not sorry for the actions themselves. Not enough to repent. You're sorry for what you did, but you're not sorry enough to change. Does that describe you? You don't have to answer that, but you need to. You don't have to answer it out loud, but you sure need to be honest with yourself. You know, that's why, <clears throat> that's why you get saved every week. At the end of the service, anybody want to get saved? You'll raise your hand again and again and again and again. That's why you come to the altar filled with tears as you throw the 30 pieces of silver down at the feet of Jesus. You feel bad for what you did, for what you said, for the life that you're living, but then a day or two or three later, you're right back doing what you did before because you're remorseful, but you're not repentant. It's an endless, ruthless, exhausting cycle. And I would say that there's people like that here. We all have that propensity. You see, Peter's sorrow was because it hurt their relationship. Judas' sorrow was because he realized he just messed up, hurt his reputation. It impacted his future career plans. And since Judas couldn't handle the guilty feelings, and maybe because of fear of consequences, he dealt with those feelings by committing suicide, where Peter repented and Jesus forgave him. I pray that we would have a church filled with people that have a heart like Peter and none like Judas, that we would all walk in repentance and not just remorse. How many times have we done wrong and instead of responding the right way to it, we make a determination to correct our behavior, we're seized by guilt, and as a result, it pushes us deeper into sin. I feel bad, but I'm not gonna repent, so here we go. And it just gets deeper and deeper. It gets stronger and stronger. The stronghold gets worse and worse. We can't escape it. There are consequences for our actions, church, good and bad consequences, depending on our actions. We can be like Judas, adding a wrong response to a wrong choice, or we can be like Peter and repent and turn from our wicked ways. Church, let's be like Peter, amen? Church, let's be like Peter, amen? So what happened to those 30 pieces of silver that Judas threw back at the Pharisees? We see it in Matthew 27, verses 7 through 10. The chief priest picked up the coins and said, it's against the law to put this money to the treasury since it's blood money. So they decided to use the money to buy the potter's field as a burial place for foreigners. And that's why they call it to this day the field of blood. Then what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. They took the 30 pieces of silver, the price set on him, by the people of Israel, and they used, it, used them to buy the potter's field as the Lord commanded me. The prophecy was fulfilled. Jeremiah saw that happening hundreds of years earlier. The field of blood became the field of death. Those 30 pieces of silver, the price of a slave became dirty, filthy blood money. How could this have happened? How could this have happened in Judas's life? How does it happen in our lives? How could Judas live for three plus years in Jesus' inner circle and then betray the best friend that Judas ever had? How could he have walked so close to the light and still yet be in such utter darkness? John 3 verses 19 through 20 actually answers this question. It says this is the verdict. You know what a verdict is? It's when they put the, the mallet down and say, 
This is what happened. The jury is in. Here's the verdict. The light has come into the world. It's talking about Jesus. The light has come into the world. But people love the darkness instead of the light. Because their deeds were evil. And I might add, they really loved doing it. The Bible says sin is really good for a season. But in the end, it leads to death. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. Yes, Judas was in the presence of the light of the world. Yet he chose not to come into the light. He chose not to love the light. Instead, he chose to stay in darkness. When Jesus washed his disciples' feet, he told them that they were all clean except one. And Jesus knew that it was Judas. Judas was not spiritually clean like the others. Luke twenty two fifty three 53 says, when Judas and the guards came to arrest Jesus, Jesus says, this is your hour when darkness reigns. Judas chose the darkness even though he was close to the light for three years. I just, it's unfathomable. But today is no different because people today can be close to the light of Christ. They can go to church, they can have Christian friends, they can read their Bibles, and yet they can still be in utter darkness. Why? Because they haven't surrendered fully their lives to Jesus. They want him to be Savior, but they haven't allowed him to be Lord. They're unwilling to let go of their old ways. They're unwilling to embrace the new way. He says, I have put a path before you, Jesus says. It's a path of life, and it's a path of death. You better choose the path of life. You better choose wisely. They grab onto the elements of the faith. There's people in church like that today, but they don't possess the faith that places the control of their lives into the hands of Jesus. Did you know that it's possible to be near Christ and to associate with his followers and not be saved? It's true. Church attendance and church involvement does not mean that you're okay with God. Judas wasn't. Judas may have even called Jesus Lord at times, but that didn't mean that Jesus was his Lord. Matthew 7, 21 through 23 says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. This is Jesus saying it. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I'll plainly tell them, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. You see, Judas hid his selfish motives and dark side in the cloud of religious activity, and we can do the same thing if we're not careful. John, 1 John 1, verse 5 through 7 says, this is the message that we've heard from him and declare to you, God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we're liars and we don't live out the truth. But if we walk in the light, and as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Oh, church, be in that place where we let the blood of Christ purify us on a daily basis. Live in the light of Christ. Let the light of Christ expose the darkness. Light brings healing. Light brings deliverance. Jesus is here to help you get out of your darkness if you'll simply just let him. Now, by the way, we're not talking about perfection. No one is perfect. Turn to someone this morning and say, I'm not perfect, I'm not perfect and neither are you. Yeah. That's hard for some of you to say it kind of like, like you're spitting up in your mouth a little bit when you say it. But it's true. 
Not one of us are perfect. None of us are perfect. But we are being perfected. We are being sanctified, being made more like Jesus every day as we stay in the light of Christ, as we stay exposed to the light of His glory, His purity, His holiness, His goodness, all that He is shines it on our life and says, and we say, all right, Lord, show me. Show me because I want to be like You. I want to be pure in heart. I want to be sanctified. I want to be perfected in You. What a great prayer. What a great cry of the heart. And He'll do it every time. Judas walked with Jesus literally, but walked in darkness spiritually. And in the same way, I want to encourage you today as we close out. Let's make sure that we aren't people who walk with Jesus externally, but then walk in darkness internally. You can put on a good show from anybody you want, but Jesus knows your heart. Let's not walk with Jesus for show or for selfish gain or for any other surface reasons. But let's truly walk in the light of Christ. Let's walk authentically, church. Let's just, can we just be real before Jesus? He knows us anyway. Let's walk selflessly. Let's walk humbly. Let's not betray Jesus like Judas did, but let's walk in true repentance and authentic daily relationship with him as he is our Savior and Lord. Walk out of darkness and step into the light of Christ. Just give you a real quick illustration here as we close. There's a church in Louisville, Kentucky. It's this huge sanctuary that seats thousands upon thousands of people, and sometimes birds get in there. The facilities department has the job of trying to figure out how to get these birds out. The last thing you want on a Sunday morning is have an unexpected gift on your head (laughs) but then you know as they're thinking of their options you can't shoot the birds you can't poison the birds that's kind of inhumane so the goal is to not destroy the birds but to save the birds so you know what they do They turn off all the lights and make it as dark as possible in the sanctuary. And then at one of the lower exits, they open a door and outside they turn on all the lights and they make it as bright as they can. And the birds will instinctively fly to the light and escape. You know, we look around in our world today and we see things getting a lot darker, don't we? This is not a, your imagination. It is getting darker out there. But this is what God actually is doing in his mercy. And I want you to understand this. She, it's getting darker out there. And we think, well, I can be consumed by the darkness. Or what God is actually doing is he's making things so dark, allowing things to be so dark so that the light of Christ shows up all the brighter. And I would say, Jesus, you know, God, just make it as dark as you want to out there so that people can be drawn to the light of Christ. And that's what's happening this morning, in fact. My prayer is that your life would be so dark right now that you are at your end. This is it. This is your bottom. It's so dark you can't see your nose in front of your face and that the light of Christ will show up and it's going to be your escape out of the darkness into the light of Christ. 
where there's rescue, where there's deliverance, where there's everything that you would ever imagine or expect that he has for you. As we sang that last song, you are good. All my life you've been good. Great is your faithfulness, oh God. Has he been good to you this morning? That's who he is. The longer we see people, the longer we as people do not come to Jesus, the darker the things become. But in that darkness, the brighter Jesus will become. So I pray that instinctively our spirits this morning will fly towards the light of Jesus. Would you stand with me this morning? Lord, this has been an a lot of good stuff here this morning that we've all needed to hear. Lord, there's been like multiple sermons in this one sermon here and maybe it's hit some different areas, but the big picture overarching theme here is that Jesus, we're walking in some darkness. We've embraced it. We've allowed it in. It's getting bigger. It's getting more pronounced. It's taking control. It's pushing you out. In fact, we're running from you as a result of it because we know that you're not pleased. But we pray, Lord God, that you would let it be so dark that we see nothing else except the light of Christ. Help us, Jesus, to see right now you and you alone. May we run to the light. May we instinctively, spiritually run to you right now knowing that you are the way, you are the truth, you are the life, you're our rescue, you're our source, you're our help, you're our strength, you're our salvation, you're all that we need. We run to you. with every eye closed and head bowed. Don't just be remorseful anymore, but be repentant today. Truly turn from your wicked ways. Be like Peter, not like Judas. Don't be sorrowful like the world tells you to be sorrowful. Uh, You got caught. Uh, I just feel bad about it. But keep doing it though and just continue to feel bad. That's going to lead to death. Godly sorrow will lead to life. Lord, I pray that there would be godly sorrow in all of our hearts right now and that we would make a decision for you that is not one of remorse, but one of repentance. That our sorrow will lead to repentance. That it would be godly sorrow today. I pray for godly sorrow right now in each of our hearts so that we would be not like Judas, but we'd be like Mary, not like Judas, but like Peter, not like Judas. But Lord, we want to be a people of God that walks in true repentance and that we give you permission to shine your light on every dark place in our hearts. If that's you this morning, I raise my hand along with you. And if you want Jesus to shine, I mean, for the first time probably ever or in a long time, Lord, shine your light into those dark places in my heart. Lift up your hand and be authentic before the Lord. If you don't mean it, don't raise your hand, but this is the Lord seeing your hand. Now, as we keep our hands raised and nobody looking around because that's none of your business. Your business is to just do business with the Lord. And if we just keep our hands raised, those of us who have our hands raised, I'm not even looking around. I don't even know who has their hands raised. Lord, this is between us as individuals and you. So Lord, we raise our hands and say, all right, we invite you, light of Christ, to come and expose the glory of your light, the holiness of your light, the righteousness and the purity of your light into every dark chasm, every little place, every nook and cranny. Come on in. 
light of Christ. Come on in. We invite you. And we don't want to be remorseful anymore. We want to be truly repentant. Our ugly words, our ugly thoughts, our ugly deeds, everything about it that is wrong, Father God, we repent. And let today be the day that is a day that we will never go back the way that we, that we were, that we'll never jump back into that cesspool, that pigsty, that nasty of whatever it is, but that you truly transform our minds, our hearts, our lives, our goals, everything about us. Light of Christ, come and restructure everything that, aligns, that, 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 that will align with your will and your word for our lives. Now, I want all of us to pray this prayer, whether you got your hand raised or not. Say, Jesus, I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. And today, I repent of my ways, of my sins. Forgive me. No more remorse, but repentance in my life. Help me to say and do and think the things that are pleasing to you from this moment on. I want to be a ambassador I want to be a representative of you Jesus so forgive me of my sins live in my heart and be the Lord of my life light of Jesus stay with me shine brightly in me shine brightly out from me to a dark world in Jesus name we pray amen